welcome to the Women Are Archaeology podcast, a podcast about for and by women in the field. My name is Chelsea Slotten, and I'm your host for this episode. In this episode, we're joined by Emily Wong, Kirsten Lopez, and Sarah Head. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only proper way to introduce me is my name. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we are actually, it's really exciting. This is the first time in the history of the podcast that we're, all four of us have been in the same physical space. That's true. Um, we are currently attending the 2019 SAA conference, which is being held in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we're going to talk a little bit about why we're here at the conference, good sessions that we've been to. And for those of you who have been following along on Twitter, Facebook, um, some of the yeah anything <laughs> really anything the controversies that have rocked the conference mm-hmm. about which we have a statement which we will post in the show notes. But we have exactly. receiving the juicy gossip to you till the end. So you yeah, start listening. You, who would have thought the Society of American Archaeology could be so titillating? <laughs> I like that word. It's it a good one. <laughs> I, I also would like to be on record that we're recording at like effectively one in the morning. So yeah, we're all a little punchy. Well, for, for you guys. That yeah, is still, I'm, the host. I'm the only person that matters. So <laughs> it's only like, we've attended ten. many, con- uh, many <laughs> presentations, poster sessions, forums, discussions, some cool shit meet and greets, uh, readings, CRM mm. expos, and Lunches. so on and so forth. So it's been it's been um, a long couple of days, and there's a lot to digest. Uh, good things, bad things, in between things. It's um, been, it yeah. been an unusually active situation. Sorry, yeah, I don't, no, I don't speak we have some. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, it's too goddamn Anywho. We were trying to grab the um, SAA program. conference program. This is why which we're is not about... allowed to all be in the same room together. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good inch thick, approximately. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's novel. Hefty. It is, and I'm I'm genuinely surprised I handed out the books this year because I feel like there's been times where I would just be like, please don't take a book, use the app or something. Oh, like I have a book lines, from last but... year too, and it's like yeah. a fucking novel. I mean, they're like phone books. This yeah. one I really like only because they put. Um, an index in the back that is the last and first name of every person who is presenting yes and then their session number behind their name not page number session number that took me a minute to figure out yeah um so same you can, and then they listed all of the sessions by number so the other thing that I will say, because we're, we're going to start on a positive note, because um, I at least am going to get real, real salty real fast. Um, <laughs> but wait, I went to some good things. There I were some go, yes, wonderful, there were some good wonderful things. sessions. Um, I have been renting for the last three days. But I will say that one of the things that I really appreciated that the SAAs did this year was they put a statement of tribal recognition oh, yeah. in, in the, book. the program. Um, and I'm going to read it out here because I do think that it is important. Please mm-hmm. do. So it is, quote, I would like to take a moment to respectfully acknowledge that this meeting is being held on the ancestral homelands of 34 pueblos and tribes, as well as other traditional and indigenous communities currently lacking federal recognition. I would like to recognize these communities and their continued and sincere relationship with the landscape." End quote. And I was super happy to see that the SEA had a formal statement prepared that people mm-hmm. could read out that it was in 
the book, it's been circulating on all the various different social media channels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that recognition is really important. Mm-hmm. So that great job. We're, we're not getting salty yet. Not yet. That's I'm gonna say <laughs> I will say positive things about people and sessions. That is the only thing you will hear That's me true. say positive yeah. that is about the organization. Yeah, there's any other stuff in it. <laughs> And with that, I mean, I think it's really important to note there were a number of really excellent uh, of, um, symposiums yeah. on uh, indigenous rights, issues with NAGPRA, um, the Native American Graves uh, Protection Repatriation Act, um, ways to improve it, ways of um, improving the Section 106 compliance process involving Native American groups. There's a lot name. of involvement yeah. trying, to, I think, to um, promote in, uh, Native American voices um, and Native Hawaiian voices, um, trying to bring in communities and especially vulnerable com- communities together, how to um, branch out with that as much as possible. And of course, all of these symposiums are going at the exact same time. Well, there's and just, it's just so much. Yeah and, yeah, and we should note there's like 5,000 archaeologists at these conferences. There are 53,000. Well, thank 5, you. 5,300, thank you for correcting Ooh. my bad math. <laughs> yeah. But still, that was more, the, than, more than you said. Is that the the official... The official number is 53 and some change. Okay. Um, I ignored the change. It's um, like, just are, imagine how many then of those are Over, over 5,300 <laughs> attendees, which is, I think, someone, one of us mentioned earlier, the largest attendance. So far, this is the, the largest, the, the most attended SAA in recent history it's bigger than one in dc which really kind of blows my mind because dc was huge well and and it's worth noting that for a lot of people who are coming to conferences the way that they can afford to come to conferences is by applying for travel grants Mm -hmm. at their universities or their different organizations but most of those grants require that you're presenting so there are going to be a huge number of people who are going to be presenting doing a poster or something simply mm-hmm. because it is the only avenue mm-hmm. in which you can hope to get and it's usually reimbursement which is also problematic and unfair because there are yeah. people who aren't going to have that several hundred front. dollars to yeah. pony up at the beginning um you certainly have to pay you know rent and bills and that sort of things mm-hmm. um it is very expensive and it is yeah. it that is cost prohibitive i haven't gone to the essays for quite some time and so it's really nice to be able to actually come because i could drive this time around um and then she drove all of us around that's right the the, greatly the wia show chauffeur (laughs) of the week but um getting back to the symposiums i mean there were so many good ones and i do like to say that like there seemed to be some themes that were really standing out this year and i think a part of that was like um promoting um indigenous voices um and Mm -hmm. rights especially concerning that on how to facilitate a better process with um, government entities. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot on uh, queer archaeology, numerous things kind of promoting uh, queer voices and so forth. Honestly, there was more queer stuff in D.C. I wasn't at D.C. I think you're right. I feel like there's more more queer archaeology in D.C., which, you know, I think the region where they have the uh, the meeting that year, I think it does kind of affect the kind of stuff that gets proposed. Because so. like, yeah, yeah. there was, I mean, the reason we keep hammering on the the, the indigenous stuff is because there was just a crap ton of it. I mean, most of the the symposiums here had to do with indigenous 
archaeology in some way, shape, or form. But we also have more indigenous archaeologists attending, and I think that's mm-hmm. why our numbers are so high. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, um, somebody on Twitter keeps saying that, like, this is the whitest SAA he's ever been to. And it's it's still pretty damn white, don't get me wrong. Because archaeology discipline. Archaeology is discipline is a white. But, but it seemed to no, be more but, of a month cell spectrum. It was like a slight cha- shift. My, <laughs> slight my beef shift. With, with saying that it, it's it's so, so white is like he's completely dismissing all of the mm-hmm. indigenous people that are all of the indigenous archaeologists that are here at the mm-hmm. at the SAAs. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of black archaeologists, but there's not a lot of black archaeologists. Yeah, I think every indigenous archaeologist in the tri-state area is here, and yeah. that's fantastic because there are a lot of people, and it's mm-hmm. great to see them. And many mm-hmm. elders came too, Lots of elders. which is just it was lovely to see. Yeah. I, I've I've uh, recognized many from different consultations, and mm-hmm. so it's great to see such a large representation as yeah. well from numerous tribes, not only just from yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, from New Mexico, but yeah. I mean four corners um, into Nevada into California, yeah, well, like a lot. Yeah. Elders, it's hard for elders to travel there. It really is, and it's expensive. Position was was centered right. There were a lot of elders who I think you know talked at sessions yeah. and were were listened to. Uh, you know they weren't just spectators. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I don't know if SAA did anything, but I think it would be great if maybe they had reduced or free conference registration. I'm just gonna so. throw that out there. It's a good yeah, idea. That would like be it. good. The other thing I was really impressed with, I wasn't able to attend it because I was stuck on a train. Um, was that they brought in some Pueblo elders to do the opening ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, that's the first time that's happened. They didn't do it in D.C. They didn't have the local tribes in D.C. I'm not sure. They, they yeah. did that in um, Vancouver, B.C. Okay. Yeah. And so, so there are some regions, I think, where there are stronger... Um, there's a stronger tribal or... presence yeah. in the region or in the area where you have that, but well, and when we were in Vancouver, that was the same weekend that UBC was raising that the like peace totem pole oh, um, yeah. to recognize that they were on tribal uh, tribal occupied tribal lands. Um, so there was a bunch of stuff going on in Vancouver that weekend mm-hmm. as well. That was not anthropology or uh, archaeology specific, but just regarding dealing with the colonial past yeah. um, as, a, as a broader society and community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. I, I think where they have it affects the, the tone and the theme and the participation mm-hmm. yeah. um, in it. Because, like, next year it's going to be in Austin. and I, it's I'll be too, different. Yeah, it'll be different it'll in be Austin different. because I, I can't make it. Not like anyone should give a shit, but it does kind of change the demographics a little bit. Yeah, the, I mean, the other thing that should be noted for anyone who's debating going to Austin, certain states, I believe California is one of them, California state schools and governmental bodies will not reimburse travel to Texas Why? as a result of their discriminatory bathroom policies. Oh, so if you are considering going to the SEAs next year and would be getting funding from a state university, you may need to consider your finances and you may need to look into whether or not your university will actually reimburse you because governments of certain states, I think, correctly do not want to um, support states that are discriminatory. Okay, I get that. I really do. But the only person who's being hurt at this point is... um, 
the people trying to attend. You know, it, it's, I'm glad that they want to make it, and this has nothing to do with actual archaeology. I'm glad they want to make a statement, and, and I appreciate them doing it where it hurts the most, you know, the pocketbook, but that's, that's just going to make it really difficult for people, well, and I think students and, and, and professionals, to get there. The, my understanding of the laws, and I am by no means an expert, right. is that this was not something that we were like, oh, we're just going to like ban conference. This was this is like a statewide yeah. thing yeah. for all all state yeah. all government and employees and things. And conference attendees happened to have been caught up into this, and there wasn't you know a specific exception made for certain business activities. And I think this may be a case in which people aren't necessarily thinking of like how that's going to impact Actually, academics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and attendance. And so and I do understand your point. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. But anyway, positive things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I, t- I warned really you all. Excited. I'm very salty. No, it's fine. Right, because <laughs> I'm also salty, but that's not because I'm salty. Salty is because I'm tired. Anyway. Yes. So really positive stuff. Um, I was on a train Thursday, which is unfortunate because there was a lot of really good stuff on Thursday that I missed. Um, and it was also pre-drama, so everybody was in a good mood. But there was a really good symposium called um, from, Tomb, from Tomb Raider to Indiana Jones, Pitfalls and Potential Promise of Archaeology and Pop Culture. And mm-hmm. I was following that one on Twitter and heard nothing but beautiful, wonderful things about it. It was super cool. And I, did any of you manage to make it to it? No. no. It was on my list. So with... if anybody who's listening managed to make it to the pop culture one, let me know what it was like because the tweets that were coming out of there were fantastic. So was that the session that Book, Buck Woodard was in? Um, yes. Talk, so I actually did. I made it to the last two representing papers. His historical culture on the big and small screen. Yeah. So um, I heard both uh, Pnukish's talk. Paulina, I can't remember her last name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But on Twitter at Pnukish, mm-hmm. please don't ask me to spell that because I. It's can't. punkish. P u n k i s h. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spelling. Not my strong suit. So her talk was really interesting, and the main takeaway from her talk was that she's been going to comic cons Mm -hmm. and hosting archaeology ethics heritage management Mm -hmm. talks at comic cons and they've been incredibly well received and attended and that if we as archaeologists want to have an impact we need to not talk to ourselves and we need to not expect the interested public to come to us but we need to go to the interested public so you go to the comic con yeah right attend those events and then um, Buck Woodard has worked with um, two projects, one for um, a TV series on Jamestown, and mm. a film, or maybe the family's on Jamestown, but uh, on kind of the colonial, early colonial period, and has talked about the fact that there are problems when you start from an educated space, uh, but then you want to sell your narrative and you maybe start to branch out from what is like really historically accurate and true. But even with those problem problems, some of the funding that went to this, um, you know, it went to linguists to help reconstruct languages that are lost or almost lost to do recordings, things that have real value mm-hmm. moving forward. So that while there are problems with, necess- you know, being associated with a project that starts out with the best of intentions and then gets a little fantastical, that like 
the money and what that can do for the field shouldn't be sneered at. And it really makes me think of the Jurassic Park um, thing, right, where they had this huge budget and realized that they wanted it to be as accurate as possible. And they went and found a paleontologist and like half of the Jurassic Park budget was literally paying a bunch of like PhDs and funding grad students and things to create the most accurate reproductions that they could at the time. And this was early on in in computers and giving these academics access to computers and computing power that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And like, there was this huge (laughs) jump forward in paleontology, right? The academic field and what we know about dinosaurs as a result of Jurassic Park. It's also one of the reasons that like, it stood the test of time. Um, yeah. In terms of it is a very good you know movie. CGI versus a giant animatronic T Rex, yeah, but that movie. working with these shows is both better because it at least starts them from like a historically accurate perspective, and that when things start to really derail, you can pull it back, try and pull them back in, and you might not be hundred percent successful, but um, it's better than some of the other things that were suggested. But that the the funding that comes from that can fund really, really vital research. Yeah. And those are the only two. Um, I slept in a little bit Thursday morning, <laughs> so I only saw those two, but... Well, okay. oh, yeah. oh, I forget. You guys were actually here Thursday. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember if this was Thursday. I'm just really excited about this one uh, symposium that I went to that I absolutely love. Actually, I think this was Friday. Yeah, it was, it was Friday. The um, the future is fluid, and so was the oh, past. Yeah. Challenging the normative and archaeological interpretations. And this was put on by the SAA Queer Archaeology Interest Group, and it was delightful and yeah, interesting yeah. and fun. It it had so many unique talks in it. Um, there was like looking at quickly props to particularly Chelsea Blackmore from the Queer Archaeology Interest Group. Um, she provided pronoun stickers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those were and that was super great. That was really um, cool. And I just want to make sure that we point that out. And yeah. it's great. Oh, that was like an individual, not the organization as a whole, because I'm real salty. But Emily, you but really liked they, that they, panel. They, they I am so happy. They did provide them at registration, mm-hmm. though. Yes, so that they did. Was a Which, plus. considering they wouldn't let me put my nifty little badge flags up there, I was happy to see the... Uh, Oh, yes. yeah. Sarah made some pretty fantastic uh, badge flags. They're all gone. Don't ask for any. But they had hashtag team not, not aliens. And it was pretty fantastic. It, it makes me happy. And I ran out. <laughs> Which isn't surprising. No. But um, so during this forum, there, there was um, talks about uh, forms of resistance by... Um, uh, like Mesoamerican peoples who, or not Mesoamerican, Peruvian? I think Peruvian. Peruvian. Yeah, Peruvian, Peruvian. yes. Yeah. Um, the dancers. Yeah, well, the, the um, Mary Magdalene yeah, um, folks, like they're transforming Catholic rituals into like a whole different kind of ritual and it's like a form of resistance and the Spanish priests during that time were like, holy shit, there are women doing dancing and they must be witches and then like other things where it's like oh no they're not you know doing exactly what we want and this is a their form of resistance and therefore they must have the devil within them and we must excise it out and so you can tie some of these historic periods to that and so it's just a unique thing um other stuff was like um looking i don't know all kinds of really really unique information and like using queer archaeology in 
a different way like there was the the front one on the frontier looking at like historical frontier towns oh, like liminality yeah and so and i've never thought of the idea of using queer archaeology in the sense of like what is not what is typically not considered what you'd expect in the record and therefore it is different and is looking at these african-american laundresses in these frontier towns and how they had a or not frontier towns at a fort and they had this higher status and money and things you wouldn't expect and if you use queer theory it 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 provides a different way of looking at it. I don't know. I just found it really, really fascinating. I mean, that's the whole point of the the queer theory is to kind of like, I mean, it's just like feminist theory. We need to look at it through a lens that isn't white male default. Yeah. What is, what is the standard or what is the average, but what is outside of the normative? And why is, why is the weird thing happening? Yeah. You know, because that's often what ends up, um, also understanding that the weird thing's only weird because we're bringing our biases into it. Exactly. But that's often what's um, preserved, and that's where the cave, the queer eye for the cave oh, guy. Oh, that's yeah. that yeah. Was Anybody the, make it to that one? Yes, yeah, I did. I did. I'm so glad you did. First one, and he basically just took the queer theory that, as we just stated it, and ran with it with regard to the Paleolithic nice. in mm-hmm. Europe. So basically, um, specific. Uh, Paleolithic cave burials there are over uh, he did a survey of the literature and uh, some other uh, tidbits and I think it was around 100 total for all of Eurasia Yeah, and meaning that with the really good preservation that we have for this age these were special burials and thus were not the normative Mm -hmm. and so looking at it through a queer perspective, what was special about these and what made these different so that they were buried in caves and are now are basically only window to burial rites during that time period. So it was a really cool way to look at stuff that we tend to like, like, oh, we only have so many of these. This must be how they lived all the time back then. But I'm like, well, if people were always buried in caves, we'd have way more more burials. So that was a, a neat like reminder of mm-hmm. the preservation bias and how it influences our interpretations. Oh, and just to note, um, all of our Twitter's handles, check them out, because um, there was a bunch of live tweeting, or at least like showing titles of different talks, pictures of some of the slides and that kind of thing. So check out um, Osteoarchio, um, uh, Archifan, Archifem at trial underscore tales and Archifantasy. <laughs> um, on that note, for anyone who's not familiar with standard like hashtag conventions, if you're gonna search for oh, a particular session, right? Because the the program is available online, so you can go and not everybody uses their session tag. Though. Right, but but one thing you can try is to do you know like hashtag SEA twenty nineteen and then hashtag S and the session number, not everyone knows that particular mm, tweeting convention. convention, but yeah. if people who were live tweeting it do know about it, like that is going to increase the chances of you finding information on a particular session. Yeah, I totally did that wrong. Hashtags are free or key. Yes. Hashtags are key. As we learned in your session earlier today, Sarah. Yes. No, I'm talking about the good session that happened on Friday morning. Okay. <laughs> I thought, that's what the other oh, Okay. <laughs> we're going to leave that out because... I don't want to get salty. So, also on Thursday, there was a session on, um, or a forum, pardon me, 
uh, women in grant getting strategies for writing NSF grants. I was seeing quite a few tweets come out of that. Yeah, Ooh. it was a very productive session. I was unable to make it because Thursday was a very busy day for me and I really actually didn't get to attend much at all. I mean, I, I attended the sessions involved with Fiber Perishables because I am the co-chair and had to sit through the entire session, which was <laughs> amazing, by the way. Um, and that looked at uh, non-perishable artifacts that have to do with perishable remains that would have been there. So things like spindle whorls, um, but also um, what were some of the other examples? Oh, uh, weaving implements. So if you have uh, like the, for people who don't, I'm gonna use non-textile terms. Uh, so anyone who does know anything about textile production, be patient with my lack of terminology real quick. Um, so when you're weaving, you use sticks to separate out the threads so that you can pass a horizontal thread through what's called the warp or all of the vertical threads that are fixed. And then you use sticks to kind of go back and forth to, to create the weave. Um, and those sticks are not recognizable by most archaeologists. So when you have good preservation and happen to have um, wood artifacts, you may not always get the perishable remains outside of that, like the textiles, um, but wood or bone or um, even just like Loom weights. Well, loom weights and awls that are used to, to pull individual threads. Uh, there's a lot of weaving tools that are used, and this kind of explored a lot of those from different angles. So that was a really productive. It's the first time a session like that has ever been put on. So that was really cool. We had 12 presentations. That's um, awesome. So That's great. It was pretty neat. That is cool. And there were more. I did a list of the textiles um, presentations. There were three pages. That's awesome. Nice. Of that, more than I think I've ever seen. There were a lot of very niche things going yeah. on this time. It was very impressive. But you know what else is really impressive? I'm still this awake. really unique <laughs> symposium about pseudo archaeology. That was yes. just double fantastic. Yeah, me being awake. That that's what it was. No, it was great. Um, I, I want to give a huge shout out to Stephanie Holmhofer. Um, she was clearly the adult in your relationship and. <laughs> She she did a great job, um, but yeah, she and I put together a, uh, a symposium on pseudoarchaeology and interactions with pseudoarchaeology, approaches to the use of social media and the internet for correcting misconceptions of archaeology and virtual spaces. And yes, we talked about zombies um, because sure, why not? Stuff. We talked about all kinds. Like uh, really everybody did stuff. a really great job. Um, Emma did a fantastic job talking about. Uh, how Tumblr is used to not only spread but counter pseudo-archaeology. Um, Katie Bittner did a really great job on comics and um, just really cool comics from South Africa. And they're they're in French they're and in French. it's like a weird older it's comic. Indiana Jane, yeah. Yeah, or yeah, and she's like a pilot and she's <laughs> from the 30s and she gets this skull and it's like the hijinks of getting this skull, but it's like hor horrendous racist <laughs> cultural racist. misappropriation and like devaluing the story she of this one individual. And so it's, yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating look at this comic. And uh, James Vander, yeah. Jay Vanderveen did uh, The Danger in Dehumanizing the Dead, which was looking at zombies and you know the, so the evolution of zombies throughout the the thing and how we can use zombies as a 
I don't think anybody actually believes in zombies, but it's it's just really interesting, you know, yeah. zombies. Uh, Dina Riviera, fantastic job on ethics and etiquette and why we should be countering pseudo archaeological claims. Mm-hmm. And she was the meme queen, it so, was so good. Her <laughs> memes were point. Um, and then of course, you know, some guy some guy named Ken Fader came on and. Who? Um, yeah, you know the Ken Faders. Uh, yeah, but Ken came on and he, uh, he. I love Ken so much, man. I really do. He did this really crazy, dramatic. He was looking at Sherlock Holmes and uh, archaeological landscapes used in Holmes, specifically looking at Hound of Baskervilles, which is just a fun story if you ever go and read it. Um, Spoiler. And uh, no, and, and so Ken decided he needed a fog machine, which of course we couldn't provide him with. And so, but he did these these huge dramatic readings. It was it was a great symposium. We also had a really full room, which really made me happy, considering it's the first time I've ever done this. So it's a really good session. I mean, it it combined things. I'm pretty sure everybody's usually... telling me that just because like they don't want to hurt my feelings. No, because like, a lot of the present, a lot of the presentations are pretty dry. Yeah, and a lot of people just read them by rote and just kind of like and, and, and I would like to point out that all of my presenters did read or they had they notes were but they yeah they were they might have been reading but A they had practiced and voice modulation yeah I mean they were they were talking <laughs> with and to the audience they weren't staring at their papers and just drooling on themselves while they read which is yeah so anyway my symposium <laughs> was the best symposium and uh, yeah so we can we're done now. <laughs> And I do think that uh, two other presentations that were uh, done were quite fantastic. Kirsten's presentation Kirsten was did. One. Kirsten did a fantastic And Chelsea's job. presentation was fantastic. So I, I think those symposiums were fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> What's good is you saw Kirsten's, I saw Chelsea's. That's true. We did kind of trade off. So, yeah, yeah, so was... I can at least talk on Chelsea's, and there's a lot of cool pictures with um like there was a skull that had trepanation and it showed they survived from it and i don't see that much like i i personally haven't seen a lot of um examples of that where like there may be a little bit of bone growth and then they died um this is like they lived and they must have needed a huge level of care you should talk more about it than i should because yeah. it's your research <laughs> it was such a good symposium no, no, let me too. explain your research to you <laughs> let me talk about you i'm just really excited about it it was a good symposium too yeah, so it is. And I mean, depending on where you are, there are actually parts of the world where you see trepanation that like people survive for years pretty it's commonly. Crazy to uh, I mean, like there are hundreds of cases of trepanation I, from I just read Peru. a book that, mm-hmm. that told uh, me that mm-hmm. trepidation was so that the evil spirits could escape because they've been all been possessed by the devil. So um, <laughs> there is a woman in the 70s who, uh, it was the 70s. <laughs> She's like, it was the 70s. <laughs> all right, all right. And you can read whatever you want into that particular statement. This is a new book. Um, well, no, this, so this woman, um, like, videotaped herself trepanning herself. Ooh. Oh, my God. I Okay. Oh. What um, the hell? And apparently wow. she also, like, married into a member of, like, a low-ranking member of a royal family or uh, the aristocracy, I think, in the UK. I'm going to find this, this woman's name. I learned about her as an undergrad um, and she still does and it was like a woo woo get rid of the bad spirits oh. open up so um, and then she died no <laughs> she's oh she's still alive <laughs> apparently they host very uh, again like apparently allegedly they host um, <laughs> private parties periodically where they parties. like view this film with like friends and things and it's hard to get an invite to allegedly 
it's not that anyone has ever told me that they've uh, been invited to these as people who work on trepanation or anything. Anyways. That's terrifying. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Yeah. So people are still doing it. Um, yeah. But there are, there are cultures where people survive for years. Mm-hmm. You don't see a whole lot of it in the Viking Age. This particular individual was interesting because they also had evidence of a um, blunt force to their, their cranium as well um, that, again, was also survived for long enough that it was remodeled. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you don't see a lot of trepanation during the Viking Age, so there's yeah, I think some more research really to be done for them. on that individual about whether or not they were originally from that area or Viking period was a very diverse and multicultural period. Despite it what the crazy far right people would like you to believe. Uh-uh. <laughs> I should stop because I don't think people can tell I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but like we have isotope and DNA evidence that suggests that, you know, people who were buried in Scandinavia, high status burials as well, come from really far afield. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's been any isotopic work done on this particular individual, but it would be interesting to know whether or not. Send your, send your hate mail about Vikings to archiefantasies.com. <laughs> I will be more than happy to explain to you why you're wrong. <laughs> well then and now we and we have Kirsten's wonderful research as well and Kirsten's thing on, on yeah. uh the, okay so I'm I'm going to be blunt about this I don't understand it because I'm not a textiles person. I just know textiles don't really survive very well. So whenever we find them, they're like really cool. And what I liked best about Kirsten's presentation was that all of the suggestions and uh, tips she was giving on how to put together a decent research, uh, basically project on weaving and, and, and textiles was pretty standard across you know any any project you were gonna do it yeah. was a, it was a pretty good plan to take with you when you're gonna study anything so mm-hmm. even though I I don't understand the plants and all that or or the weaving <laughs> and the weft and, and that kind of stuff I did understand like how to put I, I really appreciated the put together a decent project don't ask questions your data can't give you you know don't demand too much out of your data that kind of stuff so that that yeah. I really appreciated that well, and that was I, part of the reason why I really wanted to dig into that a little bit is because textiles are so rare. Yeah. And uh, sourcing, which is what I'm working on currently, is a destructive science or a destructive research method. And so is AMS dating. So when you're not asking the right questions, you're wasting that sample. And it is such a limited um, resource more so than archaeology in general, it's a real shame to waste uh, of that material. So granted, the technology has come incredibly far, but for example, the early days of uh, radiocarbon dating, as you guys know, took a large quantity mm-hmm. of botanicals or of organics to do that. And they didn't know anything about asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those old dates say you need a pound of organics, that's a lot of cordage that you had to scrape together that probably were not all in the same level Mm -hmm. and not of the same plant. So you have, one, destroyed that much material and the data is garbage. Right. So some of it is going through and, you know, am I 
am I doing this right? I'm not jumping the gun. I'm not just going and taking a bunch of samples, running it and being like, oh, it doesn't actually mean anything. And now um, you destroy the sample. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then... just really hated that sample. Yeah. Right. It had it coming. That's how it coming. And, Stupid and cordage. secondly, yeah. also when you're doing destructive um, methods, making sure that what you're destroying is okay to destroy. Yeah. And that I got into consultation with with the tribes to see if there are specific items that are in a collection mm-hmm. that they would prefer you not test or and not that's touch. that's a great thing to ask. Because Should be asked. Exactly, and that's where there are so many other, there's usually, if you have a basket, a whole basket, A, you have way more than that. If it was a site that was collected properly, A, which means that it's not more than 20 years old. There are exceptions to that rule, but when you have large quantities of fragments like that is a much better thing to try and pull from um and granted especially early on in in stages of research but i'll i'll stop ranting now no, it's, it's, it's great research clearly <laughs> um, you liked yeah. your research so i mean this is that's good a good thing go on i had a hard time staying in that 15 minutes i think i went <laughs> a minute over so it was good um so i'm, I'm gonna skip over session 340 for now because i know we're gonna come back and i just want to just make a very quick note um that it's always good to check out posters and posters mm-hmm. are largely yes. undervalued posters are wonderful. and i love the poster sessions so much because you actually get to talk to the researcher and you get to see a lot of research in one time in one fell swoop essentially and i mean there were hundreds of posters and then like different kinds of research like i will anything. only talk to you if you look like you give a shit Yes, if you're staring, looking down at your phone, I will not talk to you, and I will not even attempt to give you a sticker. If I walk over to your poster and clearly say, tell me about your project, and you continue to stare off in the opposite direction, I'm going to walk away from you. Yeah, I mean, it was the other really nice thing about posters is, um, and we've talked about this in conference episodes before, but presenters are not always good at sticking to time or <laughs> everybody you know, goes they, over time. <laughs> they move the the order around yeah. so even if you've gone through a booklet like, so there was an, a talk that I was actually really really excited to hear that I specifically went to a session at a certain time and I actually showed up five minutes early just in case um, you still missed it and they were supposed to be the third presenter and they actually had to swap with the first presenter who's the first presenter um, was ill, so their co-author had to come and present that paper, but their co-author was actually hosting their own session at that period. So I totally understand why that that swap was made. Um, but it can be really frustrating when you make a plan to go yeah. see a particular yeah. event. And like I study Vikings, there was not a lot of talks about Vikings because this is the American There's There was surprisingly a big number for me to see. Like, yeah. oh, Because there was your paper, and then there was the guy's paper who was effectively arguing and that was Thursday night I finally made it there were a lot of posters on Vikings there were yeah Yeah. so I did go to the entire poster session on on Vikings but it was scattered and the nice thing about posters is that like the posters are kind of there and people are going to be standing by them for at least part of it yeah Mm -hmm. so you have fewer concerns about timing and and missing something or people running over yeah it's also where I go to find people who might be interested in being on this and my podcast Um, yeah just because it's it, you, you have that one-on-one opportunity, so you can kind of field that somebody. 
and be mm-hmm. like, oh, you're really passionate about your, your stuff. You, you really actually know what you're talking about. You would be a good person to bring onto a show and talk mm-hmm. about your research, mm-hmm. you know? So that was great. And um, yeah, no, posters are fantastic because you can get pretty pictures and words. Do, would you like to talk about one more happy thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you talking about the social media stuff? No. Yeah. Um, we did do a social media thing. Uh, I was on another panel. No, I was in a discussion because those were different. And yeah, I, there was quite smattering of people from social media. It was um, me. Um, I'm going to try to get everybody. Uh, Tiny Sapien. CGBG. I can do this. Crap. Anyway, there were seven of us. Elizabeth, I think that's E. Kretz. On, uh, on Twitter, and she organized an entire discussion on social media mm-hmm. and how to use social media in archaeology, specifically for like communication and that kind of stuff. And um, I was asked <coughs> to be on the panel, and I was very happy to be on the panel because one of the other things I'm really passionate about is communicating with people about um, archaeology, and social media is such a fantastic tool for that, like Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr, if I ever figure it out, and Instagram, which I do enjoy. Giovanni Peebles was there, and she's real big on uh, Facebook. She's really kind of cracked the code on how to use it. So that, that was nice to see her there and, and have her give us information on how to use Facebook, even though I hate Facebook. And, yeah, I mean, it was great. We had a lot of fun questions from the audience about, you know, I've got a small nonprofit. How do I use social media to... That was a good question. That was a good question. And then he came up to me later and told me what the nonprofit was. And it was so cool. But yeah, we had a lot of questions like, how can you be a good ally online? Yes. Or what do you do if you see somebody who's a minority being attacked online? That kind of stuff. And a lot of questions of um, how can I keep myself safe online and still participate in social media? So that was, it was a good session. And sharing, sharing your site or not... Yeah, um, and then teaching. Sarah Gonzalez had some really yes. Sarah good Gonzalez was there. She's Potato Kitty. Yes, which is kind of cracked me up. I'm like, it's I fantastic, totally name. and I love her little icon because it's a potato that has cat ears and like big. It's cat really eyes. cute. It's, <laughs> it's freakishly adorable, and I love it. Yes. Um, and then something happened. <laughs> and well, then. Yeah. It happened actually. It happened before that, but just transitioning. Yeah. <laughs> it technically started on dun, dun, Thursday. Dun, dun. Yes. It hit the full steam on Saturday. On Friday. 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 Yeah. Friday. Yeah. And then we also had the Me Too thing Saturday, which today yeah became more about it because of the situation. But the Me Too thing had always been there. So I got a text from someone that says that we have to do an episode on what went down. No, it says you have to do a podcast episode on the quote shit show that is the SAA this year. And yeah, the SAA. That's the hard thing because yeah, there was a lot of positive and a there lot was. of really good things that happened. But then there were but on this an individual also, level. Yes, and but organization wise, I'm thoroughly disappointed in the SAAs and I'd, who I'd could love, who could probably I'd summarize like to it preface well. this before we go into it because this is the irony that I am appreciating right now. The SAA just went through this extensive process of revamping their um, sexual harassment, sexual yes. harassment policy. And they're, oh, do they just love and it? And they were so proud about it, and they put it in the new book, and it's, it's right up front, and everybody was like, wow, look at this great new sexual harassment policy, and this great That's new not actually that great, B2 devs. But they're very right. proud of it. Everybody was really proud that they bothered. That they tried. Yeah. Everybody said they tried. What? 
The SAA was, ch- their, their new policy was challenged right off the fucking bat, and the SAA went, hey, look, the ground, and fell face first onto it. Yeah. So, I saw a yeah. great Twitter thing where it was like, the SCA, I think, some horrible thing happened there, and it was like, SCA, we're going to have random racist things happen. SA, hold my beer. Yeah, you know? totally. And I was like, damn. We so do not need Chelsea's, to be one-upping one another we do. We really don't. Chelsea no. is chomping at the bit, and she has yes. been very yes, yes, good. So, yes, Chelsea... Yes, yes. Please get us started. Tell us about yes. this shit show that was the SAAs this year. Yeah. Um, so I, I will preface that I do think we need to do a longer episode on this. Yes. It is yeah, a, this is preliminary. We are, yeah. there will be we are recording Saturday night of the conference. Like We still have Sunday of the conference to, to get through. Um, I am hoping that there is going to be some further response from the SEA that we can d- discuss. But at this time. <laughs> at this time. What we know is that on Thursday, David Yesner, who is a former professor at the University of Alaska Anchorage, registered on site for um, the meeting. And I mean, I've seen a lot of people like, oh, how dare like anyone let him register? Like he didn't register online. There was no way for their organization to kind of do a background check. Do a background check. Check it out. You know, a lot of people who are working registration are not actually staff. They're student volunteers. So they would not be aware of it. Yeah. They may not have the policy, yeah. like, training. So, like, right off the bat, like, shut that down. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, it's not these people's fault. Um, but he was allowed to register. Again, not people's fault. Um, and there was a, a male journalist who has been involved in breaking several sexual harassment stories at the conference who was actually going to be presenting in the Me Too session on Saturday. Which was always planned. Which was always planned. He identified David Yesner by sight. Apparently several of his uh, victims were in attendance. Reports were made to the um, staff, uh, you know, executive organizer, president of the SEAs, by students and by the journalists to let them know that he was there, that it was problematic. And the reason it was problematic is uh, David Yesner is a convicted Title IX um, well, he's, offender. He's a yeah. sexual this predator. is not just hearsay. Yes. Yeah, he is a convicted sexual predator. So he's and been, he has been banned. banned. He's, he was kicked out of his university. He's been banned from all functions um, in Alaska. I mean, it, it, this guy has been sanctioned hardcore. I would think it would be a little, like... But again, he didn't register online, so I, I could see like his name shouldn't have hit a red flag because he basically kind of walked in and kind of like slid under the yeah, kind of right. spied yeah. his so, way. So in. this is what I said, like that, like I don't know. Yeah, I don't blame the people at the front desk who didn't catch there. that because how many people? Once you yeah. have been made aware, yes. and they were made aware on Thursday that this was a problem immediately. Immediately, something needs to be done, and it went across and Twitter immediately. They were clearly capable of doing something quickly because um, the journalist, after it became apparent that the ISA wasn't going to do anything, the journalist did go and talk to David Dezer and say, you're not welcome here, and, and escorted him off the premises without laying hands on him, um, which is important. Apparently, he then uh, you know, contacted the, the SAA organizational body may have been a little persistent with that. They didn't appreciate the journalist. Who was a the journalist. Um, and then David Yesner did also apparently file a complaint against the journalist for being asked to leave. 
and the journalist was banned from the conference. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we banned the journalist and not the sexual predator or the convicted sexual right. predator. Right. I know. I, I was so want, safe. I wouldn't want David Yesner to feel unwelcome of at course, a conference. Right. How dare. Sarcasm here. <laughs> yeah, this is so, if you didn't notice. So, so the most important thing about this uh, particular event is that the SAA showed that they were capable of coming to a decision quickly and taking action quickly to address something that they perceived to be a problem, right? I've heard a lot of people who like want to make this about the journalist. It's not about him. The problem is that we have an organization that has a known sexual predator who has almost three decades worth of complaints against him. You have individuals who are filing reports saying that they are uncomfortable, that they feel unsafe, that they feel threatened. There are people who have left this conference early because they do not want to be looking over their shoulders. There are people who've never heard of David Yesner before who are Googling him, trying to figure out what he looks like, figuring out where he is, where he's in sessions. Like This has been such a traumatic experience for women who were victimized by him, women who were victimized by other people who are now being re-victimized, having to deal with this. Like, I cannot be clearer in my statement that the SAA's unwillingness and inability to, their seeming inability to do anything about this situation for the amount of time that it took them to is an act of violence against women. Like, full stop. I'm seriously over it. I ranted to these ladies for hours last night, and thank you all for listening to me. Happy we were here. Seriously. Because uh, this has been a very difficult experience for a lot of people. Those who may have never been assaulted or harassed. Those who have been assaulted or harassed. Those whose assaulter or, or harasser or what, what have you will never be punished because they haven't been convicted. Here's the most black and white case. He was convicted. He was convicted. Like, right. he is so, a known predator. This, this went viral, and I have to say, like... Um, yes. Props to the session that Sarah and uh, Stephanie. Stephanie organized. They did, um, you know, say hey, people here. Stephanie on did take a, a break in the middle of the session to make an announcement about the whole David Yesner thing. And I'm frankly, I mean, I know um, for some reasons people decided to take it upon themselves to point out how Stephanie shouldn't have been being political with the uh, SAA 2019. Um, hashtag and I yeah I 100% stand behind my chair my co-chair for this um this is the SAAs I mean this this is yeah I mean like this this is the story there have been two pieces written to date that are talking about this Um, there are people in Australia literally on the other side of the world who are sending emails to the SAA about this problem right I have friends in Europe who are tweeting and talking about this. There is a Google Docs going around that we will link to that's asking people to sign a letter of complaint. We have um, put out a statement to the SAA regarding their conduct. As of Saturday morning, the SAA had made a statement where they lauded their sexual harassment policy and said that in following it, they had had to remove several individuals, but that they uh, revoke... um, access to the conference for several individuals but that they could not confirm uh, but the convicted guy well but no but they said that they couldn't comment on who they were as a result of like privacy concerns which like there is a legalese there Mm -hmm. um i actually to date have not heard whether or not david yesner has been at the conference today 
Um, yeah, that's true. I have not. But right, he was and there's been no yesterday. Yeah, and there's been no statement of apology or of concern or of safety. The biggest thing that so the SAI said nothing. Yeah, I, about it immediately. So they had, I mean, in the grand scheme of things. It may not seem like a lot for a day. That's a lot in the Twitter sphere and for this oh, yeah. the scale of this um, of this conference. Stunned. And I mean, there were complaints. Like there was a way to complain to M, and complaints were filed. Right. And, and oh, and this is really important because the members of the SAA, the organizing committee, like higher up members, apparently, um, going by something said on Twitter, like. The University of Alaska Chancellor apparently reached out to them and said, like, this is this guy. This is a problem. We've actually told him he's not allowed to be at events with University of Alaska students. So, like, he shouldn't be there. But, like, we're going to let you know. And apparently the chancellor was told that no one has filed complaints. And I'm going to go on record right now and say I filed a complaint. I can say with absolute truth, like, I have a confirmation email from a higher up person confirming that they received my complaint and would investigate it in line well, with and, their policies. Like it's absolute bullshit. And, and two of David Yesner's victims who are also in attendance uh, at the SAS this year, both have gone on record saying that they did file complaints and had heard nothing back. So well, they, they got the standard. We've received your complaint, and it will be right, right, right. But and so there's, it's been it's not been addressed, and the SAA is still claiming that no one has filed a complaint. So at the business meeting, and this should be noted, and unfortunately, this is mostly from hearsay, but we've confirmed it with other people who were at the meeting, mm-hmm. and it's my understanding that um, individuals did approach, like at the this huge business meeting, saying we need to talk about this, and like, okay, yeah, we'll talk about it at the end. Got to the end, and they did. The board was like, yes. Yeah, no, we don't have time. Don't and they're like, no, we need time. to talk about this. They said that, oh, we'll revisit our policy. And in the future, mm-hmm. those being targeted, so those who are the victims, have to let the SA know, SAA know ahead of time if the, you know, their assaulter is going to be there. If their how person. Would you know? But even then, why would somebody even do that? Okay. This is an act of revictimization, yeah. right? You were telling the, these victims that they have to relive their trauma, which they probably already have several times over, particularly in this case where it's taken decades to have any action on this um, particular individual's actions. And like when you file a Title IX report, like you have to talk about it, right? They mm-hmm. were victimized once by David Yesner. They've been re-victimized, right? Asked by to like process of by the, the, the process of Title IX, right? And potentially literally decades of being ignored because reports were made i don't know if it was made to the university or just to the chair of the department but like people knew nothing was done mm-hmm. and this right? is also and now like the saa trend. is re-victimizing them again mm-hmm. right and this is a common this is a common practice unfortunately mm-hmm. in archaeology like let's let's just not do anything about it it's, it's not just yeah. archaeology it's it's, oh yeah for sure but if we're looking specifically it's been anything on that note and i've heard people talk about this and i'm i'm at least happy that people are talking about it yeah that's a silver lining david yesner is the poster child for this yeah right now he's right? not like this report the he's just the came board. out like he was banned relatively recently he is not the only mm-hmm. sexual perpetrator of sexual assault in the boat. He's not the only sexual predator in the archaeological community. If you have any doubts about that, you should have attended session three, yeah. Gordy, which was the Me Too session, 
which was put in too small of a room, literally spilled out into the hallway. People were standing in the hallway. Four people deep. Trying into the hallways mm-hmm. to okay. listen. That was a really big room. I was like, it is. it was too it was small a of a room, room, but it was a giant room. Yeah, it, it was a giant room. It was too small of a room because there were too many people. There were too many people. Because everybody yeah. went yeah. It was a larger this. room than there was the SEA's two years in Vancouver where the room was much smaller. It was bigger than the room they put us in last year, too. Right. So, maybe progress. <laughs> um, and it wasn't It wasn't the last session on Sunday. No. No. But when, and this... If you'd gone to the session, like you, the number of heart wrenching stories that were told um, anonymously are terrible. David Yesner is not the only sexual predator Mm-mm. in the archaeological community. He's just supposed to be the community. only one convicted. Right he's now. the only convicted one, and he's the one we're talking about. But he's not the only problem, and that there are other predators at this conference, right? And other victims who are walking around and having to see a person who harassed or assaulted them at a conference having to yeah. smile and try and make nice to have access to this networking and career advancement and opportunity. And like, that's unacceptable. Like it can start with David Yesner, but it cannot end with him. And they did. And that's, what's so tone deaf. I and mean, this is the most black and white case the SA is ever going to get yeah. on yeah. banning. There's literally like he, yeah, he could sue the SA. He wouldn't win because it's like, this is the He's most convicted. clear. Yeah. I, like, you can ban this His guy. His existence and was supposedly in violation of the the no harassment policy that the SAA just put out. And so the fact, and this, and what's heartbreaking for me is that this is not the first time people have approached the SAA saying, please ban this person. They hurt me. They raped me. They've harassed me. Here's a police they do report. nothing about it. I cannot emphasize that enough. And so here we go to the Me Too meeting. It's amazing. It was um, these a panel that was reading anonymous stories. And the thing about the stories, they are gut-wrenching, but unsurprising. Because I've heard these stories. They say 66% of women in archaeology have been harassed um, and, uh, and so forth. And then like uh, the other 13% has been assaulted. And it's just, it, it, it's horrific. And the silver lining is the the meeting was jam packed. But when they were, they had to begin talking about the anti harassment policy, and when they talked about it, the entire room laughed. And that just shows like how bad the situation is. Is that like yeah, there's a anti harassment policy, and everybody laughed. Mm-hmm. That's how pissed people are, and that just shows how out of touch the board is at the moment. I am so disappointed in the board at this moment. Yeah. But I'm sorry. Um, someone like to talk about the, the Me Too with all of the situation as well? So I, I don't actually think that we should go okay. into specifics of the story. Oh, no, no, not at the specifics. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah. I meant the, the experience of of such being being there. It is very clear to me that there are, there are people who are more affected than others. And, and I'm putting myself... In, I'm making a comment on my own self here because I am stunned for starts. I mean, Chelsea and Emily are clearly angry. I'm just baffled and disappointed and Mm. just like, how fucking hard was this? Like, yeah, okay. I don't expect the SAAs to like psychically know each each person who comes in and on all of their crimes. But as soon as it was brought to their attention... You know, and, and it was brought to their attention pretty fucking quick. Yeah. Honestly, all they had to do was issue a statement saying, 
hey, we've had some unfortunate news about, you know, some of the attendees. Mm-hmm. We are looking into it and we're trying to, you know, follow this brand new no harassment policy that we put into place. It, they couldn't even do that. Like, they, it it's so they easy. They even fucked no, that up. So I mean, like, easy. all they needed was to issue a genetic, a generic statement that just said, yeah, we're looking into it. And I think most people would have been pretty happy with that. Yeah. You know, and, and of course, it would have been nice if they had booted the guy. But, I mean, the way that they handled the situation clearly shows that they don't put any weight behind their I think they thought that it would just policy. disappear. And they were clearly just waiting for it to go away. They didn't want to handle it. They didn't. And they, I don't even know if they believed people or not because it doesn't matter. They were clearly just waiting for it to mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. And they also don't pay attention to their fucking Twitter account. So why do you even have a Twitter account? Because this thing was so big on Twitter on Friday. If you search the essay hashtag, the top posts on Twitter for the SAA hashtag for this uh, for 2019. They're all about this David Yesner thing and the SAA's inaction on their own sexual harassment policy. Yeah. So, like, like David Yesner is, for me, is just this shining example of how a large group or a, a governing body, and I know they don't want to think they're a governing body, but you yeah. can't in the one hand say, we're not a governing body, and then on the other hand, try to dictate the way archaeology is done, presented, and who has access to it, because that's exactly what the SAA does. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, you, you either get to be the big boy, you know, you either get to be the big man in the room, or you're not, and if you're not, quit charging me 400 fucking dollars just to register for your stupid, you know, thing, and then making me pay around $1,000 to just stay in a hotel near where the conference is, and that doesn't count the money I have to spend on food and travel to get here and the time I have to take off work just so I have the privilege of coming to your conference where you're not even going to follow the own, your own rules. Right. And now well, I'm done ranting. And, I mean, I think... I mean, there's this immense time and money cost with attending conferences... Right, and one of the reasons that people come to conferences is to network. It's to yeah. advance their careers, mm-hmm. right? And I am perfectly comfortable saying that, like, I've been unable to concentrate for the last two days because I've been looking over my shoulder to see if this person, to see if David Gesner is around, right? Mm-hmm. Both for my own safety, but so that I can look out for other people as well, right? Because I don't want anyone to be victimized. I actually made a statement about the situation before my presentation where I encourage people to like look out for for one another, not just in relation to David Yesner, but with broader issues. Yeah. And you shouldn't have to be worried have, about this. Right? There are people who've left the conference. Like I went to the Me Too session today and that was it. I literally couldn't be at the There conference. were a lot of people that went home after the Me Too session because they just it was a very emotional moment. Um, right. People I haven't seen in years who I was supposed to meet up with afterwards texted me and said I don't think I can make any meetings after the Me Too session. I'm going to go home and crash. And I'm like, I hate to miss you because I haven't yeah. seen you in forever, but it's completely understandable. Yeah. It's completely emotionally yeah. exhausting. It is also so negative for the field. Like, there were some amazing other sessions that were going on at yeah. the same time, mm-hmm. right? Including ones with indigenous mm-hmm. elders, like important sessions that people weren't attending. Because they were so worried about having to show up at the Me Too meeting to protest their own like physical safety, right? At the meeting. 
the fact that you have people who are leaving the conference or aren't attending who aren't able to concentrate is such a huge loss mm-hmm. for the field, mm-hmm. right? It's a huge loss for career advancement. And as one of the accessibility pro- talks on Thursday night mentioned, like archaeology has a really, really big problem with um, diversity. Mm-hmm. It has a problem with promoting uh, women. It has a problem with power structures, right? And the people who are being chased out of the conferences Right, or being made to feel unsafe and unwelcome at conferences and leaving are exactly the people that we need to make sure are safe and are welcome mm-hmm. and know that they're going to be okay. Right? Like, and that diversity of, of experience is so important for what we as a field can accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are personal issues. There are safety issues. Mm-hmm. Right? this is also a huge blow for the field of archaeology. Yeah, especially as the highest attended, some of the most impressive discussions and just the contributions that were made and or were lost on or could have been made, it's unfortunate. I mean, honestly, I can't say that I'm surprised about the situation. But that makes it even that and that for me it makes it worse. It's like it's like yeah. because it's unsurprising, you're just like I, I'm with yep. Kirsten though. Like I'm I'm disappointed, I'm upset, yeah. I'm I'm it's just appalled at how yeah. badly they handled it. But yeah, to say I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. No. I would also like to point out, um Right, I'm livid, which I like <laughs> I think everyone here knows that if you're listening to this, hopefully you also know that. Um, if you've listened to the podcast before, like, I'm Chelsea. <laughs> I'm the person who's like, oh, when someone needs to be tactful. Right? <laughs> like, I think more than one of you has referred to me as, like, the adults in, <laughs> yes. in the room, yeah. right? You bring like, us, you're, you, you're like, okay, now bring us back. back. And it takes <laughs> so much to get me to this point, yeah. right? And, like, that means something and I know I'm not the only person who, oh, yeah. who feels yeah. this way no it's, 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 yeah. it's I a hate lot of people seeing being, yeah. yeah I hate this seeing is, so many people distraught I, I just it, it, it it's just terrible and the, the number of people who said that they had like emotional support I think there was an emotional support narwhal going across uh, Twitter which A narwhals are awesome and B <laughs> but, but the whole concept of like I need an emotional support anything to deal yeah. with this. Like, that's crazy. There were people on Twitter, myself included, who said, like, if you need a buddy, if you yeah. need help, yeah. come find me. Yeah. Right? Like, I will happily have your back. But that also means that people are not getting to go to the sessions that they want to go to because they feel like they need to go to a session with someone else, mm-hmm. either for their own safety or for the safety and support. And of when we person. say and safety, like, and people have like, been mocking the term safety a little bit. Like, we're not saying somebody's, like, going to pull out a knife and be like, stabby, stabby. Like, not that kind of safety. It's like... Like mentally and, and like, like being yeah. able to get through this and it's like safe in many different ways and yeah. nobody was necessarily physically unsafe is it's like a, a it's whole emotional other, and a mental thing yeah like, and it's triggering there can yeah. be PTSD there can be all kinds of things and yeah no I mean so it's, I, don't, it's, I don't know a good way to say it no it hits so, people no. differently and. I mean, if you're too shallow to understand that as an individual, that just because you're not being affected, that other people aren't being affected, yeah. then 
you're kind of part of the problem and we should talk. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's the point. Like, yeah, I don't think anybody, when when they were saying, I'm I'm worried about my safety, I don't think they really thought someone was going to jump out of the shadows and and start accosting them in the middle of a conference. Probably not. I mean... Maybe there, maybe there are a couple of people that that's that's the trauma that they have, and and, and this this is and conferences for them. are the the um the conferences are the most common place for people to be harassed and yeah. assaulted. I mean, well, and I would also like to make a point that like while there are emotional um, and mental like concerns to safety, like there are also physical concerns. Like there are men at conferences who are going to give you a hug that lasts a little bit too long. Oh, I long. see what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah going yeah, yeah, to sit yeah, yeah. next to you at a conference and decide to, like, smoosh themselves up against you. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah, the, ch- the chairs the are placed really close, close to each together. other. Yeah. But, like, if you've got six inches on one side or an empty chair, yeah. like, why do you Just need to over. sit literally right next to me Yeah. and pressed up against me or people who are going to try and put their hands on your thighs, like, like there is a physical component I see to what it. You mean. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking more of Sarah's like no and, 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 get you. and that kind of thing but that but I think the point with what Chelsea's saying yeah. is it's a really good point you but have, having someone next to you where you can be like yeah help yeah, yeah. yeah for sure but the, this conference I mean that happens every conference yeah you know They're that's everywhere. that's that's not special yeah everywhere it is not yeah. even archaeology specific and, and that's the, the David Yesner thing is, I mean, the, the silver lining with the David Yesner thing is it made everyone at the conference, or at least people who paid attention at the conference, aware that there's an issue. Yeah. But the reality of it is, is there's always that guy who's trying to like, oh, he bumps your ass while you're walking on the book floor or, you know, the dude that comes over to loom over you while you're looking at books or something. And, and you're just like, could you not? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's always the one guy who, who gets a little too handsy or a little too friendly, you know, and it's, that's every conference, you know, mm-hmm. the guy who stares too long at your tits. Like, yeah, I get it. I have tits. It's, it's fine. But you don't need to stare open mouth gaping at them. I mean, we're yeah. all aware they exist. You know, it's, it's creepy. I'm sorry. The guy who wants to sniff your hair. Well, yeah. One thing, one comment that was made regarding the Me Too session by someone on Twitter was that like, it was super important for men to, to be there to, be to there. hear those stories. Not because, you know, all men are perpetrators because right. like they're not, but there are things that men might do that they may not realize True. are as creepy. Because, I mean, like there are some tall dudes, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Who like maybe trying to like look at, look, something. look at a book on the table in front of you and they don't realize that the fact that they're a foot taller than you are and are like looming and like trapping you between them and the table. They're like, oh, I'm just trying to look at this book, and they're not necessarily going to think like, and oh, I'm trapping this person. That's in front literally of me. a real life situation that has happened to people that I know. Right, really sweet guys who would never yeah. be anything like that. And yeah, but you need to be aware that like exactly, just be aware. You may not and after I pointed your behavior out, this way, yeah, yeah, but that it can be perceived that way, mm-hmm. and that you may inadvertently be contributing to. Making someone feel unsafe yeah. at the conference. 
And it's just being yeah. aware of, yeah, aware of your surroundings. Because I've definitely heard with, like, the, the general Me Too movement, it's like, oh, well, I guess I can't give a girl ever a compliment. Or, man, it's going to be really scary for guys in the field. It's like, um, as long as you're not, you know, if actively. If you're thinking like that, like, if yeah. that's your takeaway from. You're probably doing something. You're probably yeah. the person who's the problem. And that's the thing. It's like, everybody knows how to behave appropriate. Like, like there's, yeah. there's like. There's very few people who have a legitimate excuse for not being able to read so social cues exactly the rest of y'all are just being assholes and just falling back on it i'm sorry because i i live with someone who has the who is not capable of reading social cues and that is a much different reality than the guy who just is creepy yeah it's like a guy shouldn't be like well i guess i can't sniff gross hair hair anymore it's like you should know you're not supposed to be doing doing that in the first first place place. and the thing is people who like genuinely don't understand social cues and have like a, a biomedical yeah oh yeah that thing that like like they tend to be aware of that and be super super conservative oh because they don't want to accidentally come off as that person so yeah. like they're always like my partner is always mortified when i point out to them that something that they did is potentially odd weird or or could be taken in a threatening way towards someone else. And, it, and it, you know, it's never a comfortable conversation to have with him, but they go out of their way to not do it again. And that's the difference. They don't sit around and bemoan, well, I guess I can't sniff people's hair anymore. You know, that's yeah. that's the wrong What response. is this anymore? Like, you should never be <laughs> sniffing someone's hair. And so it's just like, it's like... Yeah, Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's mm. one of those things I think there's like good I reactions and that. bad reactions where it's like the, the reaction should be oh so okay how can I be a better ally how can I recognize these things in the field I've been some major themes and I'm not going to talk about the story specifically I, no, I'm not doing specifically that told not to. and I so don't I don't want anybody listening think we're sharing stories no. um, just theme wise it's kind of it's those things with power conflicts mm. and Fear and retribution or things like this were, and this really struck me, other people saw what was happening and did, and nothing. did nothing. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the takeaway too, is that for men and women, be part of the solution, don't be part of the problem. And that mm-hmm. like, if you genuinely can't see the difference, like, oh, he's just playing around, you know, making this girl feel like he's making funny jokes around. I was like, she looks uncomfortable. Help her out. Yeah, you it doesn't know? matter if your friend's friendly and funny. That other person clearly does not think that, and that's making the situation un, 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 uh, awkward. And, so, and pay attention. Like, it's easy to be on a site and be like, I'm staring at this one meter by one meter square true. in front of me, and that's what I'm doing to like the obliviousness of like all else. But like, look up. Pay attention. Take care of each other. Yeah, no, I, I get it that sometimes like people just zone out. Like the boob staring thing. I get it. Yeah. People zone out. But if somebody's actively like, hey. Sometimes your eyes just <laughs> go where they're gonna go and you don't even you're not even actually seeing anything. You're just sleeping with your eyes open. You know, it's that kind of a situation. I will forgive that. But it's yeah, it's the Hi, I'm having a conversation with you, but I can't look any higher than your nipples. Um I mean just pretend that you can. Other things I saw, it's just accountability. And that's, again, another issue with the SAA. Yeah. Well, if you're going to have this policy, 
be accountable. If you're going to, and same with universities, with companies, be accountable. And if you see something happening, if you get the report, be accountable. And that's the only way things are going to change. If there's real... If you um, have a policy... Exactly. Because if there's no accountability, this is just going to keep happening. And silence only protects the perpetrators. Um, I'm actually really hoping the the end of the Me Too session, the panel organizers put together a list of four things which you think that they're planning on Mm -hmm. tweeting or uh, making public in some way. Four things that you can do on different levels, um, individually, institutionally, um, within like a broader organization like the SAA to help ensure that you're safe, to help ensure that your students, that your colleagues are safe and to make change. Um, and as absolutely enraged as I am, um, I think it's important that we also move beyond rage. I think we need to keep a hold of that because we deserve better and we have a right um, and a responsibility to future, to future generations and to one yeah. another to be pissed off. Yeah. But we also have a responsibility to do something about it, and yeah. we can't just be pissed. Yeah, no. that's a really good point. Exactly. Being angry is good, but you gotta move past it to actually do things. Mm-hmm. Direct it. Use it as a tool yeah. to keep to, a kernel of it. Yeah. To, to keep you motivated to do things. So I think we're yeah. probably close to. Oh yeah. We're oh over. yeah. Okay. If it's over, it's over. No. That's yeah, it's fine. It is also, however, very late. Um, oh, I know. Yeah, same. And people have some early flights, so I think that we should maybe end it on a positive note of don't just be pissed, but do something about it. And um, we will continue to monitor the situation and maybe put out another episode that is solely dedicated yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, Shoot. And on another closing note, I do want to congratulate everyone who had a successful uh, presentation or poster session mm-hmm. or forum that they were involved in and were able to be involved and make positive contributions this year because there were some, as we noted earlier, amazing things that happened. Oh, yeah. Fantastic things and as much as this situation stole it really did from the it just larger Atmosphere. contributions, yeah. as we noted. Yeah. Um, to, to not let it, I mean, it's something that needs to be dealt with, but not let that issue overshadow the accomplishments that were made mm-hmm. this year on indigenous archaeology and conversations mm-hmm. around progress in the field itself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And on yeah. my closing note, I would like to congratulate the state of Alaska for winning the, uh, Month of Archaeology poster contest. It's a great yes. poster. I was told it was very beautiful. I didn't see it, but um, I know it's nice. It's lovely. It is. And I and I think that's our, our happy takeaway, is that everybody should go get a copy of the Alaska State um, Archaeology Month poster and just stare at whatever that beautiful picture is. <laughs> I think I'm going to go do that right now. There you go. <laughs> 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 Thank you for listening.